A very good morning to all of you. This second Sunday of 2023 already. And hello to you, um, those of you who have joined us online. It's so wonderful um, to be here together. You know, after such a long time of not being able to worship in person, I'm just so grateful every time that we can come and be together like this. And um, yep, I can't wait to get started on the second week of a bigger table sermon series. So um, like, like uh, Pastor Wade said, we started on the series last week. Um, and if you were here, you would, know, you would know that Pastor Wade and I had a dialogue talking about God's big table. You know, that how, you know, as sometimes as Christians, we make God's table smaller. You know, because we think it's our table. You know, we choose the people we like to invite to the table. And we exclude people that we don't like or not like us. Um, or, as Pastor Wade said, a wonderful term that he coined, um, we act like church bouncers. You know, we decide who's in and who's out. But God's table is not your table or is it my, nor is it my table. God's table belongs to God. And today, we're going to learn from the parable of the wedding feast or the wedding banquet just a little bit more about God's heart for his table. How many of you have heard that story, that parable? Just, I'm just curious. Okay, great, thank you. And so this parable is recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 22, and it goes from verse 1 to verse 14. Now, we're going to turn to that passage later, but uh, we're going to take a few moments first to get acquainted with the setting or the context. Why? Because it will help us to understand the parable better. We want to know where was Jesus when he told the parable? Who was he telling the parable to? And why? You know, often we think of parable and stories like, ah, everyone's sitting around this, I don't know, wise sage, you know, slowly talking about this story, you know, while we sip our coffees. But it is not the case here. So what happened? Give me one moment. I just need to put this here. <laughs> so the day before Jesus told this particular parable, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And when he was inside the temple, he cleansed the temple. He drove the merchants out. He overturned the tables. Well, um, he made quite a stir. He made quite a scene. And the religious leaders were not happy with him. He went away, and the next day, he returned to the temple courts again. And while he was teaching, the religious leaders came up to him and challenged him. Who gave you authority to do these things? And how did Jesus respond? He told parables. I actually think it's a wonderful way to respond. So he told three parables, you know, and all three parables have a similar thread running through them. You know, they exposed the hearts of the religious leaders, challenged the assumptions they have about God and the way things work with God, and about themselves too. And so the first parable is the parable of the two sons, where at the end, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Tax collectors and prostitutes will go ahead of you into the kingdom of God. Wow. Do you know what? I mean... Who says things like that to, to the religious leaders? You know, they were so sure that they are the ones on God's VIP list. 
You know, so <laughs> I was describing this to the first service. Think of it as, um, you know, you queuing up to board the plane, right? And so you have the economy class queue, and then you have the business class queue, the first class queue, and for some airlines, the first first class queue. So imagine you're in the first first class queue, you know, and you work hard to get there, you know, or maybe you pay a lot of money or use many points to get there. And I mean, I'm a points person. That's the only way I can find my ticket. But, um, and if anyone is going to go in first, it's going to be you, right? But you know what? The airline attendant, attendant announced, today, the economy class people will get to go first. And then you're standing there, and then you see all these people coming behind you, going past you. You're like, wait, 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 what? I'm the VIP. I am the VIP. I get to go first. You get the idea? So that's the first, that's the first parable. And the second parable is the parable of the wicked tenant. Where Jesus said, towards the end, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, another nation, others, who will produce its fruits. Again, this is like a slap in the face for those so sure, the religious leaders, they're so sure that they're on God's side and that God is on their side. And now, we come to the third parable. That's our passage today, but have you noticed where it's going, the common theme? So let's look at the text now, and I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 21, verse 45, all the way to 22:15. The words will be on the screen, and you can follow along. Okay, it's a long passage, but I'm going to read slowly through it so we can actually... Um, just try to absorb what is being said here. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, the first two, they realized that he, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds because the crowds regarded him as a prophet. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to summon those who had been invited to the banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, the feast I have prepared for you is ready. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they were indifferent and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized his slaves, insolently mistreated them, and killed them. The king was furious. He sent his soldiers, and they put those murderers to death and set the city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but the ones who have been invited were not worthy. So go into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the wedding guests, he saw a man 
there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? But he had nothing to say. Then the king said to his attendants, Tie him up, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And this next verse is not on the screen. Then the Pharisees went out and planned together to entrap him with his own words. This is the word of God. Let us pray. God, we come with a humble posture before you. We come in humility and acknowledge that our wisdom is finite. We need you. We need you to open your word up to us. We need you to minister, to, to help the words pierce through our hearts. We need you in so many ways, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to minister, to work mightily in this space. Amen. Okay. I wonder how you're feeling about this passage that we just read. You know, we, we were just talking about God's bigger table, and we made it too small. You know, um, and yet here we have, many are called, but few are chosen. What is happening here? What's up with that? And then, you know, that's that part, that, the part about being thrown into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you don't have the right gear on, you don't get, you get thrown out. It doesn't sound very inclusive, does it? So, do you want to find out what's happening here? <laughs> okay, so the context. Context is important. So remember the context. Jesus is not talking to us directly. He has a message for us through the passage, but he's not directly talking to us now. Who is he talking to? He's addressing the religious leaders of Israel who think that their Jewish, Jewish birth status, you know, the chosen people of God, gives them an automatic special privilege, an automatic ticket to the kingdom of God, to be included in God's family. And in their Bible, you know, which is our Old Testament, the arrival of God's kingdom is mentioned, talked about, described in terms of a wedding banquet. So the subject matter here um, that Jesus has chosen is not entirely new to them. They think that they have arrived. They think that they are already there at the banquet but the reality is that they haven't even responded to the invitation. See, the Jews were like the first set of invited guests. The gospel was first offered to the Jews before it went out to the Gentiles. But they rejected the gospel. They rejected Jesus. He sent his slaves to summon those who had been invited to the banquet, but they would not come. But God being God, our God is so full of grace. He sent his um, servants out again to tell the invited guests about all the good things that he had pre prepared for them and waiting for them. You know, come, come, come to dinner. We have oxen, we have fattened cattle, all waiting for you. Now, maybe oxen and fattened cattle does not quite appeal to you here. So, in today's language, it's like saying, hey, hey, come to dinner, will you? Let me tell you what's on the menu. You know, we have got things with truffles, things with foie gras, and we have got aged ham and aged wagyu beef, you know, steamed lobsters, 
Alaskan crabs and things like that, and the choices wine, all waiting for you. Come to the banquet. But they were indifferent and went away. One to his farm, another to his business. The rest seized his slaves, insolently mistreated them and killed them. See, they rejected God again. In fact, in the history of the nation, they rejected God again and again, and even killed the prophets that God had sent to them. And so the king said to the servants, Okay, go to the streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet, both bad and good. And they did. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. People who thought they were excluded are now included. And everyone was invited. And this would be a fine ending to the parable. Except that Jesus did not stop there. And you know what? Sometimes I think it's very tempting, I mean, to cut out the story, just, just end there, you know, because the, the rest of the story just doesn't sit right with how we, God, how we feel God should be, uh, how, or it doesn't sit right with our own convictions. But since we can't really pick and choose God's word to suit what we want to say, we have to go on. So going on, it looks like the king has an issue with this one guest who was not wearing wedding clothes. And it was such a major faux pas that he was bound hand and foot and thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is Jesus saying that if you don't have the right outfit, you'll be thrown into hell? The phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is very interesting. I, I asked my niece um, yesterday, um, she's 17, like, hey, what, what do you think of that? It's like, oh, it's like hell, you know, people with long claws and long teeth trying to eat you up. Um, so, but this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, is an expression of anger, sadness and regret for not being inside, enjoying the things that those people inside are enjoying. The meal, the wonderful food and wine. And the outer darkness means the place that is outside the banquet area, where it is dark. Now, could this feel like hell, being left outside and not being able to participate in the wonderful life in there? Yes, I think so. But so much so that a person can weep and grind his teeth. But it's not the picture that I just described. A creature coming at you with sharp nails and sharp teeth threatening to eat you up. And the wedding clothes, this is not about needing to go out there to buy an expensive set of formal wear. In those days, wedding clothes, they mean something different. Wedding clothes then meant clean clothes. It would be something that the guests already had. And what was needed was the small effort of cleaning it. To not do that would be a sign of utter disrespect and insult to the host. It is sending the message, I can't be bothered. Sure, I'll come to your party, but I'm coming on my own terms. I want to have it my way. But God and his kingdom is not a kingdom, and God is not a God of anything goes. You know, oh, sure, whatever you like, whatever you want. 
God does welcome and receive us just as we are. But He does expect that we come to Him with respect and humility. It is not about being good or morally right, because He did say that, you know, the bad and the good are welcome. What it is about is the sharing in the attitude of God, of the host. And finally, many are called, but few are chosen. I know that this verse, I mean, it makes many people panic. Like, oh, am I the chosen one? Am I the chosen one? Who is the chosen one? You look around the room, who is the chosen one? See, um, the word chosen here is a technical term. And it is not about God doing the choosing. The chosen ones are those who have said yes to the invitation and came in the appropriate attire. Those who have said yes. And so the message was clear to the religious leaders. Many of them had rejected the invitation. All were invited. But many have chosen to reject the invitation. You know, just when they thought they had a ticket to the kingdom of God, Jesus in this parable is severely challenging that. So what does this parable tell us about God's heart for his table? And what does it mean for us? sitting here. So, first, yes, indeed, everyone is invited. The sermon title says that everyone is invited. Jew, Gentile, the good, the bad, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the murderers, the clean, the unkempt, the socially awkward, the bad-tempered ones, the cheats, the liars, the adulterers, the bullies, the greedy ones, the selfish ones, the manipulative ones, the prideful ones, the self-righteous ones, the covetous ones. You might be wondering, why did I make such a long list? Well, you see, if we just leave it at, oh, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are invited, you know, sometimes we think, oh, oh, oh okay, so we are the good ones, you know. You know, God welcomed the good and the bad, so I must be the good ones. And I'm the good one trying to be hospitable to the bad ones because Jesus loved them too, so, you know, I better love them. See, we may not be murderers or tax collectors, but maybe we are the selfish ones, the manipulative ones, the arrogant ones, the self-righteous ones. And when we recognize that we are both the bad and the good, not just the good, we no longer see ourselves as the better ones trying to accommodate the not-so-good ones at the same table. I'm not trying to tolerate that person's presence at the same table because I'm not better than them. See, our deciding of who can be at God's table comes from our sense of perceived superiority. And we can be like the religious leaders and assume that we are on God's side or that God is on our side. But when we realize that we are not any more superior or better, we stop doing the church bouncer thing. We stop excluding people from God's table. And, sorry, I just, I have to go back, yeah. And number two, we must RSVP. You see, we don't have to do anything to get an invitation, but we must respond. We must say yes to the invitation. And then we must dress appropriately. Number three. See, God invites us to come to Him just as, you, just as we are, but that doesn't mean 
coming to God on our own terms and insisting on our own ways. God loves us just the way we are and He meets us where we are at, but He loves us too much to let us stay as we are. God's inclusion of us is not the end goal. Looking like Jesus is. And being included is not an entitlement, no matter what society tells us. It is grace. The invitation comes simply from a generous and a lavish God who comes to us with wide open arms, inviting us to his party, to the greatest feast that he has prepared for us. And grace will lead us home. You know, when Jesus was telling the parable to the religious leaders, you know, he was stern, he was calling them out, he was exposing them. He used some pretty strong words and examples. But in his heart, he knew that not too long after that, after that incident, he would die even for them. He would die even for the religious leaders. He would die even for us. For there is no other way. The religious leaders could not help themselves. We cannot help ourselves. We are all, at the end of the day, stiff-necked people, aren't we? So Jesus, he was bound, and when accused, he would remain silent, and darkness would come over the land as he takes upon himself our blowing off the invitation, our striving to be good enough to be included, and our arrogance that leads us to exclude others. Put on Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus. Cling on to him. Jesus is all we need to have a place at the banquet. It's the wedding clothing that you need. You know, we sang just now the, a song, an old song, apparently from the 80s. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And that's true. Grace began with grace, continues with grace, and it will end with grace. the steadfast love of the Lord. And you know what? Jesus is always inviting us in. You have not missed the boat. He's inviting us in all the time. And question is, will you choose Him? Will you choose to say yes to Him again and again? Whether you're in a space that, I don't know, Maybe you're jaded. Maybe you've been hurt by people's exclusion of you. Or maybe you've excluded others, you know. Maybe you thought like that you got it right and other people have not and you just push people out. Come to Jesus. We're going to go into a time of reflection. Um, and I encourage us to open up our hearts invite the Holy Spirit to touch us where we most need to be touched. Remember that it is God and not us who sets the gate and specifies the pathway that will lead us to life. You know, sometimes the thing that prevents us uh, from really coming to God, from saying yes, it's because we condemn ourselves already. And 
today, if that's you, come to the table. Open up your heart. And if you don't know Jesus, and you feel his invitation, and you want to say yes, say yes. We will have prayer ministers um, here. Um, prayer ministers, could you um, come? Um, and do come up and get um, communion elements um, in you know in the space that you feel like you can come up and get communion element. We'll we'll take communion together later. But do take time to reflect. Where are you at? Where is God at in your life? And what is He wanting to say to you? And our prayer ministers are here. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for your amazing, amazing, lavish, abundant, rich love for us, for all of us. And thank you that you bridged that gap where we might not be where we just cannot will ourselves to be good enough because we can't. And you came and you stood in a gap so that we will always have that wedding garment to wear. God, I pray that um, if we have been deceived by the enemy, if we have believed otherwise, open our eyes. Help us to experience your love in a fresh way again. And we bring before you all that we carry, the burdens, the regrets, the shame, but also the repentance, all that we have done or not done. We thank you. Amen.